Columbia, St. Louis, you're listening to the Don't Push Pause podcast with your hosts, Justin Johnson and Lindsay Reber. Welcome again to the podcast. Hello. So uh, we got a lot of comments on um, comments about uh, Stand By Me. So thank you everybody that commented. uh, I think it was our most listened to podcast episode that we've done so far. Yeah. And I mean, I I guess I I can totally see that. I mean, it's a movie that a lot of people know and so glad we could do it and talk about it and hopefully it made some of you rewatch it or discover it for the first time well today we are going to talk about shifting gears shifting gears talk about robocop uh and this is one i've been kind of uh campaigning for for us to do i know i'm glad uh i'm glad you 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 agreed to do this which i know you liked the movie but you said you hadn't seen it in a while i finally allowed you to do it yeah that's right no. Thanks, thanks for letting me, Lindsay. No, you love this movie and and it gave me an opportunity to yeah, to rewatch it and and I hadn't in a, in a long time um but definitely remember it from my childhood. Yeah. I'm excited to talk about this one. I think it's a really uh provocative and relevant film for today. And I I had forgotten that. I I think that it just had been lost on me, you know, until now and rewatching it was like, dang, there's a lot going on in this movie. Yeah. A lot more than maybe you would think by the, you know, title. Totally. So RoboCop will be our main topic of discussion and then of course we have our picks of the weeks. Um my pick of the week uh, this episode is Strange Invaders, um, connected by way of uh, Nancy Allen. And, I love uh, Nancy Allen. And uh, it's kind of a, I don't know if it's one that many people have seen, um, but uh, I'll get into that a little bit. And what was your pick of the week? Mine is from 1984. Um, it is Michael Crichton's Runaway with Tom Selleck. Ooh, all right. And connected by way of it, it just being a, futuristic movie involving cops and technology robot type things. I would say it's a pretty uh, pretty good connection I mean, there. Oh yeah. I mean yeah. it's it's completely different vibe um, than RoboCop which is nice because there's so many things on the surface you could be like that sounds like the same movie kind of. Yeah. We'll get into it. Yeah. Um, and then of course we close out with our Murray moment which so that's my favorite part of the podcast. It's fun. Just get to chill yeah. out and listen. Listen to you tell me stories about Bill Murray. I'm good with that. Yeah. Yeah. So RoboCop, um, why we picked RoboCop other than me badgering you about <laughs> There was no badgering. <laughs> There's no badgering. So why we picked RoboCop, uh, a couple things. Uh, again, I think I think these future, watching movies that, that portrayed the future, that are now movies from the past yeah. always interest me. Yeah. Um, watching them in present day. Uh, and this one I think actually like holds up pretty well. Um, yeah. Uh, and it's also, again, this is one of just one of these movies that I always just really has always stuck with me throughout my life. I've always come back to and can still enjoy it. And I think in a new, uh, in a newer generation, maybe you hadn't seen, the original, but there was a remake of it not too long ago. I did not see that, but um, it still, you know, was even if you hadn't seen the movie initially in '87, um, like just just the title itself, um, you've heard of it or know that it's a movie. You know, I also I I don't think I'm the only one, but man, that title. Yeah, we can say it. it's a bad it's a bad title. It's a bad title. It's a bad title. But that's okay. But I mean, it is. He is a robot man cop. Right. And I mean, robot man cop sounds way worse than yeah, robot. Robot man cop would have been an <laughs> even worse title. That's really bad. But, but um, no, I always think of the movie as robot man cop. Yep. From now on. But I think it is um, a movie that d- during the time when it came out um, was certainly important and um, 
but it was part of um the whole like 80s futuristic uh cyberpunk kind of thing that was going on during the 80s so it is really important for that time and a super popular movie at the time so a few things to talk about with robocop uh I kind of wanted to discuss. Um, I think this is one of the uh, has one of the best villains that I can think. Not one of the best, not the yeah. best, but Kirkwood Smith's por- portrayal of uh, Clarence Bodiger. Yeah, um, he he sucks, and, but it, it works. But there's also multiple villains. Uh, you know the uh, Ronnie Cox, um, mm-hmm. Dick Jones character. Um, so I like this that we have like multiple villains um, in. It's reminiscent. This reminds me of just like Alan Rickman's villain in Die Hard. Uh, yeah, I can see that. You know, it's like the movies. This is a movie where the villain is so charismatic, even though he's doing these horrible, horrible things. Um, you're not rooting for him, but it does make for good entertainment. That he he makes for he makes for a good villain. It's a good clashing of like two characters, like mm-hmm. good versus evil. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about that. And then I think we were going to talk about just the way this movie was not prophetic, but there's a lot of things in it that I think for the time people weren't talking about, like, you know, privatizing uh, government yeah. sanctions and like corporations, like taking corporate takeover. And, um, and this was also done like during the Reagan era and and when capitalism was at its height yeah it was always like what you were you know making money was like yeah. something that you like really had to it was like that was the thing to do yeah we had um capitalism and cocaine and both of those things are very prevalent in RoboCop and uh talk a little bit about the director uh Paul Verhoeven Verhoeven um, Verhoeven Verhoeven are we going Verhoeven? I don't know. That's going to be what the podcast is debating on yeah. how to how the um, Dutch pronunciation is. Because there's a lot uh, just listening to the director commentary on RoboCop. He's got he he's had a very I think interesting career. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, also, um, we've you know every now and then this happens in the podcast where you have these uncontrollable sounds that are going on. Uh, we have a very uh, <laughs> modest studio in the basement here um but uh i do have a dog named mallory and this she does have allergies really bad um oh, she's working occasionally on it. yeah so if you hear trying my best to keep her from gnawing scratching she's wearing pajamas yeah, right now yeah she's wearing she's medicating smelling like uh yeah she's on benadryl and smelling like apple cider vinegar but <laughs> That's what it smells like in a studio right now. <laughs> um, so if you hear some scratching sounds, uh, that's not us. Yeah. That, that is the dog. Not generally. Um, not this time anyway. I need to keep her down here with us because I need to monitor her to make sure she doesn't scratch her ears real bad. So Ouch. so we may have to stop from time to time to make sure she's okay. Nothing for you to worry about, dear listener. She is, <laughs> she's very spoiled. Uh so before we kick off our discussion, um, Lindsay, as always, will you uh, tell us what is RoboCop about? What is the plot of this movie, <laughs> this RoboMan Cop movie? RoboMan Cop. Um, all right, so it's it's set in a um, like kind of dystopian, crime-ridden Detroit. That's not really a far, you know, cry from reality. Um, with this uh, cop that has been a cop that we meet and within the first 25 minutes or so is mortally wounded and um, as part of a project he is uh, uh, he dies and then is kind of reinvented as as this um, cyborg man cop robo man cop Um, but basically he um, becomes this uh, he becomes RoboCop and isn't supposed to have any of uh, the memories of the actual man, um, but we start seeing that there are little things that start happening, and then the whole idea of, you know, where where is that? Where is that line now? Humanity. Yeah. 
Yeah, a glitch. Yeah, a glitch in the system. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll get into that. We'll get into some of the other... uh, This is a movie that seemingly comes off as a big action movie, which it delivers, I think. Uh, Most, Uh, yeah. But but there's a lot going going on in this movie uh, beyond that and underneath. So we'll get into that. But uh, before we start... um, We'll go into a clip from Robo Man Cop and then we'll come back and we'll talk about it. <laughs> I'm so sorry I said that. The Enforcement Droid, Series 209, is a self sufficient law enforcement robot. 209 is currently programmed for urban pacification, but that is only the beginning. After a successful tour of duty in old Detroit, we can expect 209 to become the hot military product for the next decade. Dr. McNamara. We'll need an arrest subject. Mr. Kinney. Yes, sir. Would you come up and give us a hand, please? Yes, sir. Mr. Kinney is going to help us simulate a typical arrest and disarming procedure. Mr. Kinney, use your gun in a threatening manner. Point it at Ed 209. Yes, sir. Please put down your weapon. You have 20 seconds to comply. I think you'd better do what he says, Mr. Kenny. You now have 15 seconds to comply. You are in direct violation of Penal Code 113, Section 9. You now have 5 seconds to comply. 4, 'cause I guess to start off uh maybe just right talking about Paul Verhoeven as the director here mm-hmm. um very interesting career it's kind of like had a mix of really doing a lot of science fiction films Robocop was his first American movie his first American yeah. movie and then uh followed it up with Total Recall which I think is an excellent I love sci-fi, Total Recall. Movie, mm-hmm. uh, sci-fi movie um, but then I also, I, I'm a big fan of Starship Troopers. That's the one that doesn't seem like it gets a lot of love. You know, every time that movie comes up, someone's like, you should play Starship Troopers. You should talk about Starship Troopers. And I think I've only seen it one time and I, I understand why, but again, it's like there's commentary underneath the plot. And I think I, I think it was just, this, it's the spider thing, right? It's big spiders. Yeah, big bugs. Uh, I think, I think it's, like it that just turned me off. I think but. it's like it could have helped with better casting, but it was just one of those mm. movies. But I've, I've got a lot of love for that one. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, I think he's definitely a, a, a filmmaker who has had um, an interesting career and just, yeah, a filmmaker who definitely approaches movies. I think some of these films wouldn't, uh, essentially like RoboCop 2 even though a lot of this these undertones were in the script I think mm-hmm. like um he has a way of fleshing things out and again his use of and we'll talk about this in the podcast like his use of violence um in a lot of his movies uh-huh. um it, it's like it's purposeful but then I also like question it at times too so that's something like to talk about um but I do think that he is a very interesting director and I think he, he's one where as far as like science fiction films go, I mean, he's made four movies that, and even I, I'll, I'll consider hollow man. It's not, I don't think it's a great film, but I think that it's for me, it's again, it falls in that technology future, mm-hmm. um, vibe of science fiction that I like versus, um, spaceships and that, you know, that out going out in outer space. I think hollow man too, uh, not hollow man too, but hollow man, it was, um, during kind of like a weird transitional time with um, that genre of movie. So where things were not exactly flushed out as much as they could be, but they were like, the idea was there. Yeah. Um, but if I was, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I don't think he had any, any fault in that, but I, I like, like with every movie that I've seen of his, the direction it's like I've never had a problem with that. 
Yeah, I think it's a very, uh, this is very, he's a director, I think, like, his films are very much him, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and I think that uh, a lot of that is, like, his the hyper, hyper real, you know, hyper sense of violence, uh, mm-hmm. uh, hyper sexualized, like, kind of raw in their like approach. Basic instinct um, a little bit. But at yeah. the same time, very glossy and, mm-hmm. um, again, like, movies that, I take, I mean, Total Recall, I think is an excellent film. RoboCop, I think is an excellent film. And these two, like, sort of, you know, you consider them like big popcorn Hollywood productions, but there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of intricacies going on. Um, they're not just like shoot 'em up action movies. Mm-hmm. And I think that he has a way of really handling that, um, handling the balance between the two. Nothing ever comes off uh, pretentious or. Um, two on the nose I think it's just like a really nice blend and I think RoboCop is probably one of the best examples of um, this functions is just very tight fast moving action film but then we get this whole universe and I also think that he does a really good job of create taking the time to create the details of the universe within a universe in that's very true within and, RoboCop, uh, and 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 really with any movie, I, and, yeah. and and that's the thing. It's like it's a it's a basic movie making process of like you know this world exists, um, but in science fiction films, this world has to exist on its own. And I think RoboCop really does a great way, and I think part of that is the direction of like making these pop culture things that only exist in this world, like the commercials that happen mm-hmm. or the news reports. Um, I love it when movies do that, where they create the world within the world and everything exists, you know, and there's obviously things we can relate to. People are human, uh, reactions are the same, emotions are the same, but, um, it makes it more interesting to me. And I think those are the details that sometimes can get pushed aside in other, especially science fiction films where it's just like the oh, they're just in space and there's no, it could be space in any movie, you know? You know, uh, it just dawned on me that when I think about um, science fiction and uh, like a world within a world and and especially with like involving media, I always think about They Live. And this was, RoboCop was before They Live, I believe. Uh, Yeah. I think it was like a year before. One year before, yeah. Um, That's something I just dawned on me right now, actually. And I think this one all the way down to the like the six ha- six thousand SUX car that that people are driving. <laughs> I mean, even you know, there's very yeah specific things that yeah. that that go on um, that are only specific to the universe in which RoboCop and the movie exists. It's a very basic thing that like thousands and thousands of movies do, but I think to do it well is yeah is few and far between. I think this one really really like knocks it out of the park. He definitely pays attention to the details in this one. Um, I think as far as incorporating um, the creating the world with um, not only media, which is like outside the realm of like the RoboCop thing that we're talking about, but but also going into the other characters in the movie that um, that almost have maybe even equal screen time with RoboCop, like. Um, creating helping to create this world and um making you making you believe it and also with robocop 2 making it not um as much of a futuristic world but making it like to where it's unbelievable right but making you feel like this is this is detroit and we could even say like you know 30 years later yeah it's kind of still detroit actually yeah yeah, I think it is very smart filmmaking. Um, you know, yeah. and again, not letting a lot of details go to the wayside. Um, but I wanted to, before we go to another clip, uh, mm-hmm. kind of talk a little bit about. So we, you know, we've mentioned these sort of undertones in the movie. Um, this is a very, this is very much an action film. No, no doubt about it. Uh, I think the action is strong. It's fierce. It's violent. And it is entertaining, but there are a lot of things that are at play here, and I think very ahead of its time for the '80s. You know, the play on and a lot of things that are true nowadays. You know, like mm-hmm. corporate corporate takeover. It's weird when you look at this movie now, and you're like, 
um, it's kind of like what's happening right now. Yeah, a little bit. It's it, weird. In that the uh, you know the the government has put a corporation in charge of something. You know, mm-hmm. so there's this fear of the government. There's this fear of corporate takeover. Yeah. A fear of a conglomerate. Uh, the media in this movie is very uh, controlling. Government. Uh, yeah, and it's everything is like all wrapped up together. And I think that's something that again they talk about dis- it's it's strange because we say dystopian future you know like <laughs> these are the elements of like well this is what would this would be the terrible outcome if like corporations took over and everything and then you know we turn to 2018 and they're like, watching this movie you're like whoa wait what's dystopia anymore yeah. i'm not sure am i living in it i don't know um so it is uh in in especially like just you know uh, corporate scandals and government scandals and money, mm-hmm. you know, being money hungry and decisions that are made, you know, everything perpetuated on, you know, what well, we were just trying to make a buck. It doesn't matter if things work or not. It's money is the main issue. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then this sort of facade that is put on top of that to like you get mean- the approval of society. Um, and I think that's a lot of what goes on today, but at the time this is, these were like, real fears, real things yeah. that people were thinking about put into an action movie. And to me, it's just, it's very, it's very, uh, again, like this movie is like kind of prophetic and uh, very smart. And, uh, when you watch it now, it's kind of mind blowing. Uh, some of, some of the, uh, issues that they're like talking about and the, the, the yeah. concerns that going on here. And I think one of the, the, biggest my most ultimate fear is what we find out at the end when robocop goes to confront like head honcho ceo dude that's in charge of everything and he's unable to because he's he's been programmed to not go after that so this is like the ultimate fear of what is there to protect and serve the public which robocop's been doing a great job of right. it right he's been awesome helping I- helping women in situations and helping breaking up banker uh, robberies um and then he gets to this point where it's like the ultimate evil and he can't and it's because he's been programmed and and because this uh this this person the the ceo of this corporation is uh above the law yeah which i think is something that you know is so prevalent in today's society where you know if you're if you're super rich if you're super powerful in a lot of ways like you know you are you live in your own separate universe mm-hmm. and i think this movie really tries to hit that home where, where these guys that are working for this corporation the way they talk it's like they're at they talk like they're at war and they're cutthroat and yeah uh people are expendable yeah and to, I, yeah they're expendable i mean yeah. people are like yeah oh, if you're you know i mean well if you're if you're no good to us it's like well too bad you know moving on there's no there's no it's like emotionally cold mm-hmm. and uh and I think there is a lot of satire in this. This isn't a movie, this movie gets credited as being like kind of funny. I've never really, and we both kind of talked about this. Yeah. I've, I've not gotten, I've not ever laughed at anything in this movie, but I've gotten the satire. Um, the only scene to me that like reads funny I is wonder if the, it's, uh, what? what is it? Is just the, uh, where um, they're getting ready to go into a room and uh, he swipes his card and he's like, welcome to the club, you know, and it's like, <laughs> now they're like VIPs and it's like, oh, wow, yeah. what is a special yeah. room that they get to go into? And it's just, just like this private bathroom, yeah, <laughs> you know, private CEO, head honcho bathroom uh, that just looks um, like a regular bathroom. And I mean, I'm assuming that's meant to be, you know, I, funny, but. I would expect so, especially when we've got so much social commentary on that type of like person that we're talking about. The only. The only part that I laughed at, which is way more like basic than that, was uh, there's a scene where RoboCop is having a altercation with another robot, right? And what's the it? Ed, Ed 209. Ed 209. And Ed 209 can't figure out how to go down the stairs because his like paws aren't aren't uh, wired that way or aren't like made that way to go downstairs. And then it you know turns into hilarity. They do, don't they do like the sound of like a crying baby yeah. almost? It's yeah. like a crying baby yeah. and like a weird, it's animal. I don't know. There's a lot of noises going on within that robot that are strange. Um, but that's really the only scene that I found funny. Uh, I do, and I guess I take it back. The other thing I do find funny is the the whole like the obnoxiousness of the, I'll buy that for a dollar. Yes. 
I think that the, you know why I think that's not funny. I think it's, I, I think it's just because, like that exists, and like I, yeah. I know who those people are. Right. It's like uh the same the same in like um I have a friend who's a dog groomer and she does not think that Best in Show is funny at all. Too close to home. Yeah, she's just like that's just reality. Yeah. And I think that, in maybe in some ways when I see things like that or like welcome to the club, climb, you know, um, swipe in my card. Right. It's like, uh-huh. Yeah, that exists. It does exist. Um, well, we're, we're going to go to another clip. Uh, I'm going to go to a clip of uh, the villain Clarence Boddicker. So uh, we can, uh, I really want to talk about. That guy's voice. It, yeah. He's. Everything, really. Everything about it. So we'll go to a clip with him just being his, uh, most villainous, and then we'll come back. Why, well, you gotta be some kind of great cop. Come in here all by yourself. <laughs> Where's your partner? Where's your partner? Well, guys, the other one was upstairs. She was sweet. Mm. Mm -hmm. I took her out. <laughs> I bet that really pisses you off. <laughs> you probably don't think I'm a very nice guy, do you? Buddy, I think you're slime. <laughs> See, I got this problem. Cops don't like me, so I don't like cops. So, like I said in the beginning, this portrayal Kirkwood Smith being Clarence Boddicker. And it, I, I think we should set the stage too that you're you know unfamiliar with who he is or robocop maybe you might know that 70s show he's the dad in that 70s show yeah and uh the 70s show though i was a fan yeah me too it, i could never it just i couldn't shake the character that he portrayed in this yeah. movie it's like i could just i can't picture him as anything else and i'm sure that is frustrating for an actor yeah um, when they portray you know it, but again, it's like, you know, is it worth, you know, it's probably worth it when you portray like this iconic character. I mean, I'm sure the same, there are other examples, you know, Anthony Hopkins being yeah. Hannibal Lecter. It's like anytime you see someone portray such a strong villain, um, mm -hmm. that it's hard to see them play a separate role. Um, and Kirkwood Smith, I think, does, uh, in, in my book anyway, um, he goes down in the top 10 best villains that I've seen on screen. The thing about him, is that he is he is the villain that's like a scrawny little nasally sounding like just jerk just a jerk and he's if you were to meet him in real life you would be like dude get away from me you were so gross but like the way that he is very cutting and he will just pop you sitting there at the bar like he doesn't care the way that he is portrayed is incredibly uncaring and he just doesn't um he is not interested in what anyone yeah. else has to offer you know and something so small and simple but just uh, giving him glasses yeah makes, making him like quote unquote dorky like right we're, and and that he is you know and he is a smart guy you know he's a yeah. smart villain he's like working the angles he's like working yeah. a henchman for the corporation he like knows about what's going on in the government he knows about politics he knows about the drug deals i mean he yeah he, he's plugged in but he's yeah. like that nerd sitting behind the computer yeah. that's like knows everything and is like but, messing up but, everything. but then when it comes down to doing the vicious work he's very i mean he yeah he i mean he has all his henchmen but he'll he he's totally happy doing the dirty work himself mm -hmm. and um in fact likes it yeah and that's the kind of villain that is to me is uh, you know um incredibly scary yeah it's just it's scary it's it's like uh and again you know someone that again is not physically 
um, you know, I, I put Joe Pesci up there too, like in Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. You know, the same with Kirkwood Smith. Not a very physically imposing guy, and if you like, you looked at him, you you know, you physically, like buzz off, dude. You wouldn't feel yeah. scared, but yeah, like this persona, everything that he puts out, and I think he just every scene that he's in, it just enhances the movie, and I, I just think it's a great performance altogether. But again, like hard to see him in any other role, especially mm-hmm. as as a dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In, in that 70s show. Um, but one of the things, uh, so kind of coming out of just his portrayal, but the violence, uh, we, we, we both kind of talked about this uh, last mm-hmm. week. We were, we were prepping for the show, uh, the death of Murphy, who goes on to become RoboCop, um, which the whole Clarence's gang, you know, really, it's a very torturous and horrible death they uh one that scarred me as a kid this was like i said one yeah. of his movies his death is so brutal to me uh it was scarring like and even while when we were ramping up to this watching it a couple <laughs> times it's like ah oh, man this i i think i had blocked out actually that scene because as soon as it started um and i hadn't seen this in a while as soon as it started i immediately remembered like Murphy's hand getting blown off and was like oh yeah geez okay yeah I totally remember where this is going right now and it is just I mean it's a up close assassination and it is unrelenting it's not necessarily like torturing for hours I mean it's over fairly quickly but it's it's not great yeah and this is uh, the violence in this movie is very strong and I know like uh, just in our research, we found that mm-hmm. some of the reasoning for the violence is it making it so over the top that it becomes humorous, which I don't particularly find in that scene. So I dug a little bit deeper. Yeah. And uh, Paul Verhoeven says, the, and it made more sense to me because I feel like the scene's almost too brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reasoning he gave for the Murphy death scene being as brutal as it is, is that uh, Peter Weller, who portrays Murphy, was only on screen for about maybe all of like eight minutes or so before yeah. he, he gets killed and then they transform him into RoboCop. And Paul Verhoeven thought that that wasn't enough screen time for the audience to really connect with him. I mean, we get the idea like this guy's got a wife, he's got a kid, he, you know, but, new job. Yeah, new yeah. job, but we don't really get enough time to get to know him and, you know, feel for him before he gets killed. So mm-hmm. his his thought process was if we make his death so excruciatingly painful and, like, mm-hmm. horrifying, the audience will be empathetic to feel sorry for him just in his death. And so they won't forget that. And so then when he becomes RoboCop later on, like just it's more of like them witnessing his execution is what will stay with them and give the character empathy. And now everything I heard up until that point, I was like, uh, but you know, of Oh, it's over the top. This is that. But that being the reasoning from a filmmaking standpoint, I think is an excellent point. Mm -hmm. And I think extremely effective. And for me personally, that does, it works on my emotion. Yeah. yeah it, it works for me. Like I feel, uh, so bad for him in that scene that, you know, you're pulling for him after that. And yeah. then when he comes around and gets his vengeance, it's, I feel, you know, vindicated. Yeah. When, when RoboCop starts re- or having flashes or remembering, you know, either whether it's his life before or his, his death, um, you are immediately put back into that position too. And because it is so emotionally, um, you know, effective, um, you can't help but be right there with him. There was another aspect that I found out about this. And I mean, I don't know how much actually plays into like Paul Verhoeven's work. Um, He did mention that the like ultra violence of RoboCop maybe, um, so he grew up in the in the Netherlands, and when the Germans invaded, um, that 
you know, hauling bodies out of the streets, like was kind of commonplace and seeing the aftermath of gun violence and just violence in general, um, became sadly like not normal, but just like expected. So, um, his way of thinking, like making something like so violent and seeing the actual result of gun violence, um, was just what he was, what he was used to. And I also would think that this would be something that when you're a toddler, like when you're a kid during this time, that like everything, everything seems way more amped up than it is. I'm not discounting anything or not saying that it wasn't terrible, but, um, I can see how that being so much more animated, like what we see in RoboCop. Now, I think that idea, having that in your past and something that you're coming from, um, makes sense. But I think that what makes, what makes more sense to me from a movie making standpoint is kind of what you explained that in order to care about these situations and especially the death of Murphy, um, that this ultra violence is kind of important to the plot. And even when, um, uh, um, Kirkwood Smith, um, dies at the end, I mean, I know that that that's not like a lot, but there's via a just a uh, jab steel, to the neck, steel, sharp blade to it was, the jugular. It was the second time through, though, that there I noticed the spurting, and I was like, okay, the spurting is happening the whole time. There's that's a lot of blood. Yeah. Uh huh. And but the thing is, is like, you're if you happen to hit a jugular, yeah, that's going to happen. But and but for me, is 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 violent as that seem it. For me, as violent as that scene is, we needed him to not get off easy. Oh, yeah. You know, you needed to see yeah. him die in the same way that he put, you know, Murphy's character yeah. through, through yeah. torture. Um, it's the same way, like, when, you know, like we talked about in uh, our previous, like, Fatal Attraction podcast, like, when Glenn Close is off, like, it is the ultimate moment and it's by the woman that she's wronged, you know? Like, it's, yes. Like you need you need that in yeah. order to feel like it is complete at the yeah. end. Uh, the only scene that to me, the scene to me that is over the top violence, where a lot of people, I so I saw this in, at a, a midnight screen, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, as probably like five years ago or something. And the scene where the the chemical vat falls on <laughs> the one character, yeah. and everybody's just like cutting up in a theater like yeah. laughing and stuff yeah that movie as a kid and even to this day when we were when i was watching this last week i don't think it's funny man it like creeps no. me out when he's like help me yeah and he's just melting melting and like, away and then uh you know gets hit with a car and just sort of like liquefies yeah oh uh, man it's, there's something about someone the melting of like faces and stuff that just like freaks me out no he's totally got that um, toxic avenger like thing yeah. going on except way worse yeah um but man when that people are really cutting up in the theater like laughing a lot a lot of the scenes in this movie so th- it certainly does play you know the humor exists in the movie it just for me and like same with you i didn't get a lot yeah of laughs out of the movie but i will say this uh this was a man it's probably like 200 people there really a crowd pleaser um yeah was yeah like people were really getting into it i mean granted most of the people had seen it but sure it's you know sometimes movies just it's interesting and, and this too i hate to bag on running times of movies so much and i don't think i've done it I've, more in my real life not so much yeah on this i podcast. don't think you, yeah i don't think you've done uh, it but this movie clocks in about before credits this movie's clocking in about 135 huh. um and there's a lot of commentary a lot of action mm-hmm. a lot of character building i feel like movies that aren't as developed as this one multiple movies i've seen over the last 10 years or running like almost as long as the godfather and just don't i don't need it in my life (laughs) (laughs) no but that's why i go back to a movie like this it's like uh watch these movies you can you can (laughs) you can have as much character development in a one hour and 35 minute film um Mm -hmm. study robocop uh (laughs) sorry that was my no i there's definitely something to be said i've I've always kind of felt like if a movie goes over two hours, then they're 
there better be a good reason. Like I'll give you two fifteen, maybe if it's like something real involved, but generally, yeah. If we if we've got to cover like you know three decades of somebody's life, I understand yeah. two thirty. If we're covering uh you know four days of someone's life, I just don't uh yeah. I just don't need a forty Can't. minute battle sequence. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> that's why we're not talking about those movies in this podcast. <laughs> well. Uh, was there anything else we wanted to, I feel like there was one other thing we were talking about here that we didn't get to, that we should go on to our picks of the week. Um, it's, I, I don't think we've given her a proper shout out, but like Nancy Allen's performance in this as, um, as Murphy's partner just for like a day. And then she's the one that kind of like plants the nugget of, Hey, you're Murphy. Hey dude, come on. I know that you're a robot now, but I s- see the lower half of your face. I and know that sa- saves his life. Yeah, she does, and she's like a a great character as yeah. far as um female cop, late eighties. Yeah, um, I really enjoy Nancy Allen. I think she's mm-hmm. someone that, yeah, that is, is like really had like many. You know, worked with a bunch of great directors early. On. I'll talk a little bit more about her in my. Uh, pick of the week but yeah I, I really I think she makes a great character and uh, she uh, really hung in there with the sequels yeah <laughs> um, Justin why don't you tell me about your pick of the week okay well my pick of the week uh, is 1983's Strange Invaders uh, which co-stars Nancy Allen and this is uh, this movie I think it's pretty I don't know. I would say it is kind of an obscure film, but definitely the most obscure one that I've used for a pick of the week. Um, and this was a movie that came out and was very much a throwback to sci-fi films of the 50s and late 50s, early 60s, like your Forbidden Planets or your Ed Wood. Not, not as low budget as Ed Wood, but in that vein of sort of this tongue-in-cheek sci-fi. Uh, you have some sort of weird plot going on. You have like invaders from another planet and i think that it wasn't something now people do throwback stuff all the time it's very common to do like vintage stuff and retro stuff but i think for 1983 this was a very unique thing i don't think very many people were into it or got the idea that they were paying tribute to these older films because it is very camp i mean this is like totally when i say campy like a very campy film and essentially it takes place opens in the 50s and then uh quickly becomes present day which is then 1983 and it's a uh, husband whose ex-wife leaves to go to the town that she grew up in but she disappears so he goes to the town and when he's there everything in this town uh in the centralville illinois town uh, which i like it because it takes place in the midwest uh we're bordering uh, Illinois and um, not many movies take place in Illinois uh, especially like some small town Illinois but anyway he gets there and everything in the town is is exactly as it was from the 50s and then he uh, witnesses an alien uh, ripping its skin off its face like they're dressed like humans and the effects in this though cheap still pretty terrifying uh, and then a alien uh, tries to uh, blow his car up so he goes back to the big city and uh, doesn't really know what to do you know he's witnessed this craziness so he finds a report about an alien encounter uh, from this journalist who is portrayed by Nancy Allen and she works for like a magazine that's sort of like a, the Inquirer uh, and so she's like, yeah, it was totally fake. It wasn't like a real thing. But for whatever reason, she joins him on his journey to figure out what's going on to unravel this plot. Uh, it gets a little convoluted at this point. Um, but somehow these aliens have been like uh, took over this town and have been waiting to go back home. So we're kind of has like an E.T. vibe going on. But uh, they eventually go back to the town and try to 
uh, save some people, but uh, the aliens do this thing where they vaporize people and by touching them and they turn them into these orbs. But when they do it, again, uh, and this is why it kind of like a, another connection to RoboCop, uh, the alien touches his kid's feet and his feet start melting and the kid is screaming and is terrifying. His whole body starts melting and his face like melts and then he like turns into this little orb that the uh, alien <laughs> creates. And then there's a scene where the aliens are walking and they're just like tearing off their like fake human flesh and revealing themselves as like these like creepy looking alien bodies. Um, again, it's not the greatest film, um, but it is one of those movies. I think it's like the perfect, if you've had a couple beers on a Saturday night or if it's Sunday afternoon, the middle of the summer, like it is now, you're like just looking for something that just like throw on in the background. I think this is perfect for that. And though Nancy Allen doesn't have a very big role, uh, again, I, I think this is for, for me, it's interesting this movie being in her career because she really her her career is interesting to me because she started out I mean doing four movies for Brian De Palma who was a his early work I'm a huge fan of then doing a movie for Steven Spielberg and then doing this very small kind of strangely low budget homage to like 60s <laughs> sci-fi movies and then going on to do RoboCop and other movies but uh yeah again it's just one of those movies i think again it's not great but i i I thoroughly enjoy it if you're into sort of campy throwback stuff it's definitely uh will be up your alley it's one of those movies you look up on imdb and it's got some like really horrible uh audience reviews that totally like i think like miss the point that this is supposed to be like a throwback film um they're just like what is this cheap garbage um but uh, there's a, there's a lot there, and it's even though it's like really cheap and low budget, I think the uh, I like the way the effects are. To me, it's there's a couple moments where I'm still like, oh man, that is just a child's feet and legs melting, like while he's screaming, terrifying. And especially with the effects of 1983, I bet that it was like super gross. Yes. Too. Yeah. Super gross and very real. Something about people melting. I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. I think it's because it, like maybe it like takes me back to like Raiders of the Lost Ark with the Ugh, guy's face melting. Gross. Just yeah. ever since that, just you know, I just hope that like however I go out <laughs> mm-hmm. in my life, you know, it's not like what happened to him. Yeah, he like Ugh. melted. That's pretty gross. Yeah. So your pick of the week was... Sorry about that. Excuse me. Um, My pick of the week is Runaway. Runaway. Uh, Yeah. Have you seen this? So I actually have seen it, but it has been a while. And again, I say this every single time. (laughs) You just happen to like always pick these movies that like... Like, oh yeah, that one... That one again. I like, kind of remember it, and it's like it's probably awesome. And then, actually, there's not a movie that you've like brought up as a pick of the week that I've rewatched and like not liked. Oh. So Runaway. Yes. Is, I re- I do remember this is Tom Selleck and Christy Alley. Uh, yes. Okay. Christy, Christy Alley's kind of in a supporting role. Okay. It's actually um, more of like the main character is Cynthia Rhodes, who you might remember from uh, uh, Flashdance and Dirty Dancing, is like the best dancer in both of those. Okay. If, if you know those movies. I do know those movies. Okay. Um, so, Runaway. Uh, it's kind of staying with the whole futuristic world of sci-fi technology and robots by way of Michael Crichton, who actually wrote and directed um, this. Um, I forgot if I mentioned this was 1984, too. So, he, he had already had a established career at this point. Um, but it was, you know, in the early, or in 2018, it was definitely in the earlier part. So it follows um, Tom Selleck, who, if you don't know who Tom Selleck is, it's Magnum. He's Magnum PI. You should just Google him. You probably know who he is anyway. Um, and like I said, Cynthia Rhodes. Together, they track down mal- malfunctioning or dangerous robots and disarm them. The villain in this one is none other than get ready for it, Gene Simmons, uh, most notably from the legendary band Kiss. Um, who plays a demented scientist looking to capitalize 
on malicious robot technology. It sounds like something he would do, honestly. Unlike a lot of movies, um, or like what a lot of movies were striving for at the time, this one has very few special effects, and the robots that we meet are mainly invented to assist humans at home or at work, or like as personal devices. Um, except for the gaggle of evil spider-looking creatures that Simmons' character creates. But you could you get your fill of that throughout the whole movie. So this one's not for everyone. There's no scary godlike government. Uh, it's not a grimy, slick look at the future. It actually seems like kind of like the present everyday life, just with lots of smart technology and non-human-like robots but that kind of actually sounds like 2018 now that I think about it. It relies mostly on the story, which is very compelling and that you care about um, Selleck tracking down Simmons, um, who is a criminal he's had a bad history with. We don't know what it is, but we just know he's had a history with him. This was Simmons's first film role, and he really does a great job at um, this vicious antagonist and also has the best facial expressions. Maybe not as good as like, you know, I'll say it again, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Predator, previous podcast, had some great faces. It's the eyes. It's all in the eyes, I'm telling You're you. all about the eyes. I guess so. Gene Simmons, excellent on the eyes. So Tom Selleck does what he does best. He plays a strong, sensitive, charming, like, dad-like dude. And maybe it's my mom that influenced me, but Tom Selleck will always be a winner in my book. The very vivacious and sassy, as we already mentioned, uh, Kirstie Alley has a supporting role as Simmons' ex-girlfriend, as well as little Joey Kramer, who plays Selleck's kid and who some of you might remember from the movie Flight of the Navigator. This movie had a lot going on for it at the time, like big name actors, uh, Crichton was a huge success, um, writer, storyteller, director, and extremely accomplished music coordinator Jerry Goldsmith. Uh, who had worked on a ton of movies and still does. Um, it did an all-electric soundtrack for this one. But when it was released, uh, it was at the same time as Terminator, Star Trek III, The Search for Spock, and 2010, the sequel, 2000, the sequel to 2001, A Space Odyssey. And many people felt like it was overshadowed and forgotten, and, and it wasn't exactly like the most well-received movie either. Uh, or critically acclaimed, I should say. Half the movies I like are not critically acclaimed, though. So while it might not have a deep meaning, um, and its main female lead may have a, you know, maybe a tad problematic, not offensive, just a little problematic, um, but it's still a, like, really engaging and convincing chase-type thriller movie. I'll always watch Runaway when it's on TV, and I if you can believe it, Justin, I have it on VHS and DVD and probably a taped from HBO version from my mom. Good God. I can 100% believe that. Yeah, I'm sick. Um, <laughs> um, Tom Selleck um, did call this movie like a great popcorn movie, and that's exactly it. It's just entertaining, exciting, and like even kind of cute at times. Um, it'll definitely keep you hooked until the very end and I have to say it's a pretty solid solidly exhilarating ending it's pretty good complete with sparks in the air and everything I should have had you bring it with you man I know I don't own it I don't own it I'll bring it next week okay I will I think the only thing I remember about I remember the move I remember the trailer for this because I remember mm -hmm. seeing the creepy spot because spiders creep me out and then like robot spiders yeah. just yeah if you can imagine and uh Tom Selleck, it's interesting. Like he's always been kind of like that guy that uh, he was like a guy that my grandma was always like, "Oh, he's so handsome." And uh, I think everybody's grandma felt that way. Yeah, you know, and just like with the mustache. Yeah. Uh, my dad has that mustache. You know, I've so. never been able to grow a mustache, so i you know, it's always been something that. <laughs> really. Yeah. I mean, you've got you've got if you let that go for a little bit, it would turn into a mustache. <laughs> It doesn't. I haven't shaved in weeks. <laughs> okay. Okay. I believe you. Yeah. I believe you. Yeah. Yeah. And mine doesn't really come out like a mustache. It's like something that you would comb with like a mouse brush. <laughs> like a brush you would use to comb a mouse. You'd like. So you're yeah. saying I probably have more of a mustache than you. 
I'm I saying might. I'm saying a 14 year old <laughs> boy has more of a mustache than me. But uh, so that was something that like when I see Tom Selleck, you know, it's there's part of me that it's just. Yeah, know. that's a that's a full stash. Yeah. Yeah. You know, not to make it about not to make this whole podcast about my facial hair. I bet that there is a whole podcast about facial hair and yeah. I bet Tom Selleck comes up. Yeah. Why yeah. wouldn't he? Yeah. But uh, I'm going to. Yeah, if you can bring it next time, I like. Yeah, to, I can. If you I can, can definitely a, if you do can that. Make a note. So, two movies to check out if you like: Strange Invaders, Runaway. Mm-hmm. Both uh, sci-fi movies. Maybe um, a year apart. Yeah. I don't know if that matters, but it's interesting. Yeah, both good. Uh, you know, Saturday afternoon, Sunday yeah. afternoon movies. Yeah. Very afternoon-ish movies. Kicking back on a Sunday afternoon when yeah. you don't have anything to do. Yeah. Uh, good pick. You too. I actually, I really want to watch that. I'm just happy that I finally picked something that, that you're good. That's not true. I'm still on the fact that I haven't been able to rewatch Foxes. Okay. Well. It's bothering me still. Okay. And that was many podcasts ago. Yeah. It still bothers me as well. Yeah, I bet. So now uh, we're almost done here, but this is my favorite part of the podcast, and uh, hopefully uh, one of yours as well. This is your Murray moment. Chicks dig me because I rarely wear underwear, and when I do, it's usually something unusual. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. You're going to come and shake my monkey tree again? Oh, what does that old queen know? She didn't even chill. Okay, this is so scrumptious. Is this hand shot? The flowing robes, the grace, all striking. That was fun. All right, so if you know of Bill Murray's uh, SNL career, you've most likely heard of Nick the Lounge Singer, a character that he came up with while at Second City and based off of real-life Chicago Lounge Singer Jimmy Damon. If you don't know about this character, he's exactly what you would think. A smarmy, cheesy, mediocre, like not the most amazing singer of songs you'd really never expect or even maybe want to hear. Um, now, Billy's love for music has always been a constant in his life. From his early days when he fronted a band, um, I think that they were called the Dutch Masters, from what I can suss out, uh, to Second City, SNL, karaokeing while lost in tra- translation, uh, or a real-life college house party, uh, a Netflix Christmas musical of sorts, and most recently collaborating with a classically trained trio, trio of musicians um, for an artistically hybrid mix of singing, spoken word, uh, poetry, or excerpts, all along with uh, musical accompaniment. Now, until recently, he's been known for more of this lounge singer act than actually singing as himself. Um, nothing has ever been safe from our Billy. Um, he could do Stairway to Heaven, uh, House of the Rising Sun, Gloria, a Christmas song, any Christmas song. Um, the randomness of him is just one of his many lovable traits. Now, one song in particular... Um, a hit by the band Looking Glass, Brandy, You're a Fine Girl, um, keeps making its way into his rotation. You might remember this song. Go ahead and Google it really quickly if you don't, because you probably know it. Um, Billy has always said that this song, um, he really likes to butcher this one specifically. I would never say that he butchers it. I mean, it's Bill Murray. It's impassioned. It's not butchered. Um... He once performed it with Clint Eastwood, though uh, Eastwood was lagging behind on the backup vocals. It wasn't that impressive. Um, Once in 2015 at a Caddyshack golf tournament with his brother Joel, and onlookers at the Kentucky Kentucky Bourbon Festival were certainly not expecting to get to know that fine girl Brandy by way of Billy. But the most random, perhaps, was on the set of the movie Quick Change, also starring Kirkwood Smith, the villain from RoboCop and the dad from that 70s show. We've already hit on this, and there's your connection. 
Um, Smith said that the climactic scene in Quick Change, wherein all the main characters and a ton of extras are jam-packed on uh, this plane all in the cabin, um, Billy checks to make sure that they're all set to go. Now, um, Billy um, uh, co-directed and co-wrote this movie, so he was in the director's chair at this point, and he was checking to make sure everybody's ready to go. He's like, okay, we good? Camera? Sound? Everybody? And then he bursts out singing, Brandy, You're a Fine Girl. All verses, the entire song, it's every single word. And then, after completing, after he made everybody listen to that, he called action. Smith said that it had nothing to do with anything that was going on in the movie that he could tell that people got a pretty big kick out of it. I'm sure some people were annoyed, especially the money people. And then filming resumed. But do some internet researching, and you should be able to find more than one of these instances, though probably not the quick change example. Um, and hey, if you find more than what I mentioned, definitely drop us an email because now I'm on a quest to find um, every Bill Murray version of Brandy or a Fine Girl. Do we all know that song, Justin? Do you want to hum us a few bars? I don't know that I know it that well. What? Brandy, you're a fine girl. What a good wife you would be. I Such just a wanted- fine wife. No? I just wanted to hear you sing it. <laughs> Damn it. Of course. Well, hey, Bill, you want to come sing Brandy, You're a Fine Girl on Don't Push Pause? Please get over here. Oh, man. Seriously, go look up those YouTube clips because that man, every single time. Can you do that one more time? Just to... I, I mean, you really want me to? I seriously do. I, I wish you could loop Bill Murray singing with me. Yeah. I'm sure there's a way I can figure it out. You could out. probably. Just in, in case I can't, though. In, just a in little case bit. you can't. Just set back up. I cut you off before you got Brandy, to Brandy, you're a fine girl. What a good wife you would be. Such a fine wife. <laughs> my love, my love, and my lady. Do, 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 do. Something like that. See, I didn't know that you sang. I knew that you played drums. <laughs> I can't but... sing, Justin. Oh. I think I'm definitely the Joel Murray in this situation. All right. That was a good Murray moment. I I enjoy all of these. I know I'm good. I know it was a, it was it was a lot a lot of build up to get. I know to you that, think a but... lot of times I'm just complimenting you because I need you to write this stuff for the podcast, <laughs> and that's not the case. I really do enjoy everything that you do. Good. I'm glad you it's do. It's just not a motivational thing to get you <laughs> to get you to work. <laughs> oh, these were good. Just keep on writing them, Lindsay. Keep on doing it. You can do it. I trust. Eleven you. episodes in, and you've you've like continuously like brought something new, and <clears throat> you know, man. It doesn't mean that I don't freak out a little bit every time. I can understand. Or like think of how to craft something to where it'll work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks again for that Murray moment. Of course. Um, next episode coming up. We're uh, stoked. Pretty exciting. About it. We're doing one of our favorites, The Monster Squad. Finally. And uh, also exciting because we're going to get the opportunity to uh, interview our first interview for the podcast. We're going yeah. to be interviewing the star of Monster Squad, Andre Gower, and uh, his producing partner, Henry McComas, who together they. Um, put out a feature-length documentary about the Monster Squad called Wolfman's Got Nards. It's playing in film festivals right now. So we'll be interviewing them, and we'll play the interview a week after we put out the Monster Squad episode. So if you don't know much about the Monster Squad or need to brush up on it, we'll get you there, and uh, then you can listen to this awesome interview. You'll become very familiar with the Monster Squad after these two episodes. (laughs) Again, as always, if you've been listening... If you're joining us for the first time or you've been listening to these episodes, uh, we can't thank you enough. Um, You're the reason why. You're the motivation to keep us uh, continuing on. I mean, this is something that we truly enjoy, um, but we've gotten a lot of good feedback. We've gotten a lot of good comments. Um, We've gotten a few requests uh, for movies and uh, 
couple of comments of people saying oh man I totally forgot about that movie yeah um, and those are the you know I know I know a lot of movies that we talk about are ones that everybody's a lot everybody's seen but um, but yeah uh, it's the encouragement and the uh, positivity um, we hope that we're bringing to people um, to you the listener so thank you for your uh, support it means and everything your comments. yeah it really uh, you know because we're just doing this out of yeah, we love doing it, but it's really helpful um, if you, you know, if you're enjoying it and it's, uh, you know, we're not, we're not just the kid from what hot American summer talking to himself, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, no, we really love doing this and we, I think we both genuinely hope that when we talk about these things that it, it makes you want to watch these movies. Yeah. And again, you know, we're, this has been a real learning curve for us. This has been a learning process. And uh, with each episode, I think we gain a little bit more knowledge and understanding of trying to figure out what we're doing here. That's the um, truth. But uh, we hope you're hanging in there. Um, again, always feel free to contact us at don'tpushpause at gmail.com. Um, you can follow us on Instagram, Don't Push Pause Podcast, on Facebook, Don't Push Pause Podcast or our uh, very humble website, don'tpushpausepodcast.com. We're constantly evolving. Um, your feedback is always appreciated. Um, thank you so much for uh, the support and listening. Um, can't thank you enough. Yes. Um, so that ends another podcast. Uh, I'm Justin Johnson. And I'm Lindsay Reaper. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you.